Hey Allie, remember when you begrudgingly stayed with your old EHR way too long because the thought of switching was overwhelming? Uh, yep, I do. I stayed with my old EHR for years, even though I really was not happy with it. That is, until Catherine convinced me to switch to Jane. Jane's import team, yep, you heard that correctly. They have an entire team dedicated to importing your clients, and they handle all of the nitty-gritty details that have been holding you back from leaving your old EHR. Imagine this, you're sitting down with your cup of coffee and just two clicks later, Jane has what they need to personally upload all of your clients so that the next time you log in, every single client, progress note, and more from your old, outdated EHR is in there. And it's just as easy for clients when you switch. They click a link, verify all of the information that's already there is correct, and that's it. The team at Jane knows that your time is valuable even after you make the switch and they import your clients for you. So they've created online intake forms to also help you spend less time on paperwork and more time with your clients and in your life. To streamline your intake process for new clients, Jane makes it easy to automatically email intake forms at the time of booking. You can gather client data, consents, insurance information, and payment details all before your clients even walk through your door or log in to your telehealth platform. Head over to jane.app and make sure to use the code BADTHERAPIST so Jane knows that we sent you when you switch and you'll get a 30-day grace period on your new account. And that's code BADTHERAPIST at jane.app to ditch your outdated EHR and join us in our love for Jane. Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board-certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern-day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy, we are here to shine a light on the messy situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Catherine, we know referring clients out can be difficult for so many reasons. Oh my gosh, yes. Feelings of failure, lost income. No one wants to go through that. You want to try and nip it in the bud before it becomes an issue. So Steph's going to share her experiences with us today about what happens when she goes against her gut and takes on a client that might not be the best fit. Yes, it can be so hard. I feel like when we feel that gut feeling and asking ourselves, like, is this anxiety? Is it my intuition? Should I be listening to it? Where is it coming from? I feel like we have a good conversation about that and uh, just when we have to refer out. Yeah. Well, stay tuned. And just a reminder that this is not an endorsement for actual bad therapy, nor is it a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, or therapy itself. All right. This is episode number 76 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Steph, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to talk to you today, but before we do, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I have been a therapist for, I've been in the field for 13 years. I've been licensed as a therapist um, in the state of Wisconsin for 10. I went to school actually for forensic psychology. So my goal was to work with like the FBI, right? Think Criminal Minds. That was my goal. That is not where I ended up, which is totally okay. Um, I worked in a psychiatric hospital for nine years with children and adolescents. And then I transitioned to a group private practice. And then I opened my own private practice in 2020. Um, Over the last few years, I've gotten quite a few certificates. So I'm a certified sex informed therapy provider, a certified clinical anxiety treatment professional, literally the longest acronym ever, and a certified dialectic behavioral therapist. Um, I tend to vacillate between DBT and CBT because those are like my favorites, but I do like to pull from like, you know, a lot of different things depending on clients' needs and goals. Um, yeah, that's the gist of it. A lot, a lot of gist. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever we hear all the things, I'm always like, wait, so where is the story going to fall into us? So Mm -hmm. I feel like that's usually my segue of like, well, tell us what made you question if you were a bad therapist, where did it fall within that realm of things? So that's why I brought up the the certifications, right? Because having a certification of being a certified clinical anxiety treatment professional, that screams like I work with anxiety, right? Understandably so. About a year ago, I had a new client reach out to ask if I would be willing to work with them as they had been diagnosed with OCD in the past. And I was like, sure. Can you explain a little bit about like what you're experiencing just so I know kind of what we're working with? Because I am by no means, and I will tell this to people, a specialist in OCD. That's to me kind of its own separate category, right? Because it's very extensive treatment. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they gave me a little bit of information, not a whole lot. And so I was kind of like on the fence about taking them. And I just made it very clear of like, let's have a few sessions. Let me assess where you're at. And if I feel like it's out of my realm, I'm going to make a referral, right? Because that's the responsible thing to do as a therapist. You refer out if it's outside of your realm of expertise. And they were very fine with that. So we started to work together and she was a highly intelligent client. 
And sometimes that intimidates me. Not that I'm not smart, but when you have somebody who's highly intelligent, who does their research, who likes to read, you know, scientific articles and things like that, it can be intimidating. And I can second guess my own ability sometimes. And that's what would happen a lot. So I went above and beyond in terms of researching things, doing kind of like extra work, so to speak, Mm -hmm. on how to help her. And each session, I would question whether or not I gave the right diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. And that can be really overwhelming as a clinician because I pride myself in being a really strong diagnostician. When I worked at the psych hospital, that was part of my job is I did psych evals underneath a psychologist. And so I've always felt I was strong at that. But this particular client, I was like, "Uh, I'm doubting myself. Like maybe maybe this is wrong. I mean, when I tell you I went through the DSM so many times and even I didn't read criteria to her, but like I was overly like studying what it was that I was diagnosing her with. Mm -hmm. It continued to be this thing where she would question me as far as like not agreeing with her diagnosis. So then I'm like, Mm -hmm am I wrong? I don't know. Like, I don't know if this is working. So then I went the route of like, let me see if I can find a referral source. And I will say as somebody who is like a recovering perfectionist in and of herself, sometimes referring out feels like failure, Mm -hmm. which I've worked Mm -hmm. really, really hard to challenge because here's the thing. I can't possibly know everything to help everyone. Right. So I was like, okay, well, let me find somebody who specializes in specifically OCD and OCPD, because neither one of those is something that I specialize in. I found a referral source, provided it to her. I provided her with like homework in terms of things that she can do, because when it came down to it, there was much more to it than she had originally explained, but I was Mm -hmm. determined to help her. Yeah. And so I felt like I did my due diligence, but also kind of what above and beyond, but I was still struggling with this almost like imposter syndrome of like, Mm -hmm. I don't think that I'm the right person. Like, I don't think that I can help her. Nothing seems to be changing. And this person isn't happy, right? So it was always an internal battle of, do I continue to try to provide services or do I make a referral out? Like, does that all make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious. Um, It's interesting to me that you kind of had said from the very beginning, it felt like you were setting that stage of like, hey, we can try this out. Like you Mm -hmm. had an awareness, it sounds of like right away that you weren't quite sure if it was going to be a right fit. And then though, it sounds like after that, even though you set that stage, you kind of knew almost like you said that people pleasing or perfectionist tendencies crept in of like, even though I set the stage, even though I'd said it might not be a good fit. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm seeing it, I'm working so hard almost like to combat that. So to me, that is so interesting. Like what was happening in your mind at that point? Was that going through your head? Were you looking at that? Like how you had set the stage versus how you were feeling? What happened there? Honestly, I think my own pride got in the way of like, this Mm -hmm. is a challenge. I can do this. Like I just got to do a little bit more research. Like I was determined to be able to help. And I think that was kind of clouding, not my judgment in working with her, but I think it was more so I was like getting in my own way of like, here's the thing, dude, like there's no shame in referring out. You told this person that from the jump. So why are you forcing it? Right. Cause I was causing myself more distress. And it was like each session I I would get anxious because I'm like, I don't feel like I'm helping. I don't feel like I'm doing much. Right. And I think that we all 
have experienced that at some point in our therapeutic life, right? No matter what the circumstances. Um, but yeah, I definitely was vacillating between do I keep pushing at this like difficult kind of goal for myself of determining, like being determined to help them? Or do I just say, I think it's better if you see somebody else? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I can't. I can't help but think, did, did you get a sense from your body or gut that you needed to refer out? Did you feel any different when you sat with this client? Because I know that I, I I think the gut is one of the most underutilized resources in the Agreed. therapy room. So tell us what it felt like and how you listened to your body. I think what I struggle with sometimes is, am I intuitively feeling like something is off or am I anxious, right? Yes. And we talk about that a lot. I talk about that a mm -hmm. lot with clients. Um, we talk about that on our podcast too of like, how do you tell the difference? I think when I got to the point of realizing this is not a good fit for either one of us, right? Because I'm I'm overwhelmed in session. And if I'm overwhelmed, I'm not on my A game, right? I'm not like at the top of the line of like being able to help somebody. And if this person isn't feeling like much is changing, then let's do something else, right? Nothing changes if nothing changes. And so I got to the point where I was like, I just have to be honest and say like, this isn't working. I think that it would be better if you saw, you know, here's three referrals kind of thing. I think once I got to that point, that was not an easy email to send either, but it was necessary. What did, did it feel you? like after you sent it? I was going to say, yeah. And moving back to like the physical feeling Catherine was yeah. asking about, like, also, what did that feel like physically? So <laughs> immediately after I sent it, I was like, I'm going to puke. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is not fun for me. I don't like this. Right. But then honestly, it was a sense of relief. And I was kind of like not preparing for the response, although part of me was of like, OK, what will I say if they say this back? And I work with anxious people all the time. And I'm like, you can't really prepare for that. You just got to be present when said thing happens and respond in a way that feels good to you. They didn't ever end up responding. So I never had to like rebut anything. Um, but I did my due diligence of like, I found three providers. Please let me know if you need help. I will help refer out. I'm not just going to leave somebody hanging. That's very unethical. Um, but there was a sense of relief of, I don't have to keep putting myself through these situations every week that are making me uncomfortable. Let's pause here for a quick ad break. By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? Are clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR. And of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. Hey listeners, it's Catherine here, and I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself. And I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. 
Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website, cccs.care, and sign up for free today. Well, let's loop back to the show. I think we can apply that to so many different areas of our life too, not just clients. Yes. <laughs> Going to leave that yes. one hang there. And what, I guess, what did you take from this moving forward? Because this would make me think twice about my intake process. I would not want to go through this again with another client. What did you, how did you take this info moving forward? I make sure when somebody reaches out for services that I am very specific in asking, you know, what are you hoping to get out of therapy? What are you currently struggling with, right? And I explain to them that if there's any inkling of like, I don't know if I should do this, I do the same thing where I'm like, let's give it a few sessions. And I always tell people, I've said this from the beginning of whether it's me or another therapist, give them three sessions to really figure out, is this a good fit? Because we know how the first session two or three are pretty chaotic. It's a lot of information gathering. You can't really get a feel for, do I have rapport with this person? Is this going to be you know, a good fit? And I also tell people, if I'm not the therapist for you, I'm not going to be offended. I want you to have a great experience so you don't leave here thinking, oh, I'm never talking to a therapist again, right? And I will help you find a new provider if that's what you need. So I've tried to streamline it a little bit. I've tried to send different um, paperwork through the platform that I use in terms of like screening for certain things. If it's if it's telling me that there's maybe something deeper going on or if it's a person who I've had this happen where somebody reaches out, they provide me a slew of information This actually just happened to me like a week ago. It was like an overwhelming amount of information and like a can you help me email. And I had to be like, I don't think that I'm the provider for you. I think that you need X, Y, Z. And I didn't feel bad about that because I knew if I took that on, I was going to be in the same position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like you did learn from that because I feel like we can't always anticipate every situation. And I feel like, of course, we're humans. We're bound to make the same mistake again. Like sometimes it happens. Like I feel like we can all say we found ourselves with clients maybe that ended up not being a good fit or we went Mm -hmm. against our gut, things like that. But it sounds like you did learn from this experience. Did you feel like it did trickle into other, like, again, it sounds like you changed your paperwork a little Mm -hmm. bit. You were looking at that, but has it come up again? Like where you ignored that gut instinct or has it gotten easier perhaps since this experience specifically? I think there's been somewhat similar situations. However, the caveat to that is I've been able to recognize, is it that I'm not doing enough or is the client not putting in the work? Because those are two very, Mm -hmm. very different things, right? I can think of a client that I have right now who we will problem solve, we will plan, we will set goals for the next session, and then they will come to session and say, well, I didn't do what we said I was going to do. And it's like, well, again, we can talk about it, but if you're not going to put things into action, I I guess I just no longer personalize that. I'm able to separate myself from, I am not responsible for somebody's achievement of goals. Like I'm here as a tool to guide them and teach them things. It's ultimately, you know, they're the ones that make the changes. I'm just here to help them along the way. Does that make sense? Yeah. How did you get to that mindset? And did you always have it? Oh my God, no, absolutely not. (laughs) Especially when I was what I refer to as like a baby therapist. I personalized everyone's success or lack thereof as Mm -hmm. it was on me. 
because I didn't know any better. I think it just takes years of practice, years of working with people and a lot of um, challenging my own thoughts, right? We talk about cognitive errors a lot on our podcast and I experience them all the time, even as a therapist and I teach them, right? So if I notice that I'm doing something where I'm personalizing, maybe catastrophizing, I'm able to challenge it and say, hold on a second, let's look at all the facts of the situation. Because I could easily, with this client who's you know not doing the work, I could easily personalize that and say, maybe I'm not giving them enough. Like maybe mm-hmm. I should be doing something else. Well, the facts of the situation are is they're telling you they're not doing what you're already telling them, right? So it's just a lot of um, inner self-dialogue. But also yeah. I like to write through my thoughts so I can make sense of them and see them in black and white because then once you see them written down, you're like, oh, so that's what's going on with me versus just trying to talk it out in your head. So I think it's just a lot of challenging my own way of thinking sometimes. Yeah. I feel like I relate to that so much too because I am a very solution-focused therapist. And I agree, like previously in my career, I maybe internalized it or thought I wasn't doing something right or, you know, that I was doing something wrong. But now I feel like I've gotten to a place in my career where I'm super transparent with my clients. And I say, I'm a really solution-focused therapist. Not to say that we can only do that thing, but if you're not in that stage of your journey yet, that's okay. I just might not be the therapist for you. Maybe you come back to me later. Maybe you don't. That's okay. But maybe you would be you know, better served with something else because, again, yes. this is typically kind of how I do things. And I think it took me a long time and, like you said, detaching from that personalization to get to that point to be say- saying – I'm, it's not me. Like, it's, yes. I don't think it's me. And this is how I do things. And it's okay if you don't need that versus before me saying like, oh, what what else could I do? Mm-hmm. And people's um, like where they're at in the states of change is huge, right? So maybe you aren't ready to do the things, but you're starting by talking about things. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But let's figure that out together and then move accordingly, right? My best friend is a very action-focused therapist too. So if people don't like to do homework, she'll tell them right away, that's what we do here. So again, if, if that's not what you want to do, if you don't like that, maybe I'm not for you. And that's okay. Do you feel like having that confidence has given your clients the confidence to do the work? Does that make sense, Allie? Oh, yes. I'm not used to getting asked questions <laughs> no, on a I'm, podcast. I like, I like it. Damn. Good question. <laughs> yes, we can tell you're a podcast host too. Uh, yes, Steph, I would, agree. I would definitely say that it's translated into my um, client's confidence because I feel like it's empowering not only to me as the therapist, but I think to our clients. And that's always my goal is to empower clients, whether that's saying like, oh, yeah, I could use some accountability and I mm-hmm. want to make these changes or empowering them to say, this actually isn't for me. This isn't the right fit. But leaving on good terms, like you said, I don't want to be that therapist that has a client leave and say, I never want to go to therapy again. So I think it's hopefully about that empowerment and support and setting healthy boundaries of it's okay. If it doesn't fit, it doesn't mean it's wrong. Correct. I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Again, I, you're turning the tables here. We love it. Um, how about for you? I could pose that question right back to you as well. Do you feel like since this experience with this client, like working on, again, your own narrative, it sounds like, do you see that reflected with your clients, the work, the confidence, those pieces? I do. And I think that people tend to want to work with me because of my approach. My approach doesn't work for everybody. And that I think like you had said, Catherine, we can apply that to so many things in our life, Mm -hmm. right? I don't necessarily want to be everybody's cup of tea. I want the people Mm -hmm. who want to work with me to work with me. I have a very like upfront approach. Like I know when to 
validate and be empathetic and be compassionate, which is always right. But then I also know when to challenge you. If I see that you are self-sabotaging, I'm going to be the one to point it out to you, but then Mm -hmm. comfort you in a way that feels good, right? Because I want Mm -hmm. you to be able to have that confidence and assertiveness to say, yeah, I don't want to feel like this anymore. I I do want to change things. You know what I mean? And when you can see people visibly start to change or they say things like, I thought about you and I did this, or I thought about what we talked about and made me do like, that's one of the most rewarding things as a therapist, I think that you can ever experience. Or I thought about what you said. That's like the biggest compliment. Yes. You thought about what I said. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, you're moment, listening. You're like, Wait, what did I say? Yeah. yeah. And then the next line is, what did I say? Jesus yes. Christ. <laughs> I say a lot of things. Yes. One thing that stood out for me, Steph, while you're sharing this is in order to really accurately convey your ideal client, you have to really know what type of clinician you are. Mm -hmm. You have to really get comfortable with your clinical work and feel, like you said, confident in Mm -hmm. that. How how did you come to that? Was that a journey or what was that like for you? How did you get to the point where you're able to say, this is who I treat and what I do, and that's okay if it's not for you? I think years of when I worked in the psychiatric hospital, we worked with like a wide array of patients, right? And I worked with children and adolescents for like the entire time that I was there. And once I moved into the group private practice, I was like, I'm going to start seeing adults. I'm nervous to see adults, even though I was an adult. I just felt like adults didn't take me seriously. So the more I worked with like a wide variety of people, the more I kind of niche down of like, these are the people that I really truly feel like I can help. I think it really stuck with me when excuse me, I started my own like self-development journey and really started to address my own issues of perfectionism and the way I talk to myself. I am so passionate about negative self-talk, anxiety, and perfectionism and the things that I have gone through because I know that doing the work will get you out of that, right? Mm -hmm. I do think it's important for therapists to be able to obviously – there's a line that you draw with sharing with your clients, but saying like, I struggle with negative self-talk too. Here's what I do. Now, whether or not it works for you, we don't know, but you don't know unless you try. So I think it was just my own journey working with a wide array of clients and then really figuring out, I'm super passionate about this niche right here. And here's why. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Has your niche interest changed at all or do you think it might change? Because I look at my career and I'm like, I had an ideal client when I was 24 and now I am not. And my ideal client's very different. Like what, what has that been like or where do you see it going? I think it's changed multiple times because for a long time, I really, really loved working with the teens. I primarily mm-hmm. worked with teens who were suicidal and would engage in self-harm. That was what I worked with day in and day out. So that was what I knew, right? That's what I was an expert at that. When I got into outpatient, I was like, I want to change it up a little bit and see what else I like to work with. Then it turned to perfectionism, low self-esteem, depression, which I still really enjoy those. But as of late, it's been working on like sexual identity, sexual issues, intimacy issues. I love that. It's my favorite because there's still so much stigma and shame around sex Mm -hmm. and intimacy and gender and all the things that I want to be people's safe space to talk about that. And it's amazing what happens in a session when you open that door, like the floodgates are just open. And I love that I'm that person for them. That's awesome. So I feel like we've covered quite a range of topics, but I feel like it does loop back to perhaps 
the beginning of like, what would you say to another clinician who is listening, or we have a lot of student listeners, new therapists, like if they are finding themselves sitting with a client who doesn't feel like they're a good fit, and then maybe part two, if you feel up to it, like how they can work through that journey of getting to Mm -hmm. their style and how to communicate it, what would you say to them, Steph? I think consultation with other people is humongous. Whether that be a group supervision, if you have a supervisor, if you're getting your hours, if you are kind of in the training stages, or if you just have colleagues that are therapists as well, it's huge. Because sometimes when we are only trying to work through the things on our own, obviously there's biases that we have in our head. There's our own feelings and emotions about the situations. But if somebody can look at it from the outside and say, here's what I'm seeing, right? Here's the facts of the situation and here's where your emotions are. And then you can sort through all of that. I think that that's huge. One thing I think is really important is to, like Catherine was saying, like trust your gut. So if something feels off, let's explore that a little bit. What is it that feels off in this situation? Again, I am a firm believer in writing through things, even if it's just to make sense of your thoughts. What I tell clients sometimes is like, I don't care if you write in a circle. I don't care if what you're writing doesn't make sense. We have to get it out of here in order to sort through it and make sense of it. I think I was a little bit frustrated with myself for doubting myself, but then I got over that because I'm also a big proponent of like, we're not going to shame ourselves for things because that gets you nowhere, right? Shame is not going to change anything. It's just going to make you feel bad about yourself. So deep down, doubting that I was a strong diagnostician was not fair to me. And looking back, I kind of wish I would have challenged that a little bit more. But first and foremost, I think consultation with somebody who has a lot of experience or somebody who's, you know, been in a similar situation is huge. And then being able to challenge your own thoughts, whether that be writing it down, making a video, like whatever feels good to you. There's plenty of ways that you can do it, but don't allow your own anxious thoughts to kind of take over and convince you of something that may or may not really be happening or be true. Such a good message. Active observer of your thoughts, huh? Yes. I love it. That's awesome. Well, Steph, where can our listeners find you if they would like to connect outside of the podcast? So if you want to follow me on Instagram, I am at the spooky therapist, T-H-E-E spooky therapist. My website is IamRedefiningMe.com. And then my best friend and I also have a podcast called Rewriting Her Story that is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, maybe. And it's a mental health podcast where we share kind of our own life experiences and then kind of, you know, hot topics that are around social media or our opinions on things and that's it. I can't wait to tune in because it sounds like two friends talking, which is exactly what this is half yes. the time. Yes. So excellent. Well, thank you so much, Steph, for coming on, sharing your story, and we will absolutely include all those links. Awesome. Thank you for having me, guys. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for this week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the Bad Therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at air for effect. 
And if you've experienced an actual bad therapist, contact your state health department or head over to stopbadtherapy.com for more information. And if you've liked this episode, we've got plenty more. Yeah, over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge if you can't wait for our newest episode next Monday. 